Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. Welcome to On Mohawk Time. I am Joyce Jonathan Crone, your host. Come along with me on a journey to learn, understand, and grow the Indigenous way. Sego Wakwego, Nijawakena, Wagen Nada, Ganagahaga, Niwagon Hon Suda. That is my introduction in my language, my Mohawk language. And I am learning my Mohawk language, as you can tell. Well, we have plenty of topics to cover, and being a retired teacher, I think it's important to take a look at our topics in an organized fashion, in an organized way. It gives you, the listener, the opportunity to begin to see the pieces of the puzzle and how they actually and truthfully fit together. We must begin to change the narrative and have these some sometimes difficult conversations. We would like to acknowledge that the district of Muskoka sits on the land that has been inhabited by indigenous peoples from the beginning. In particular, we acknowledge the traditional territories of the Ojibwa, the Chippewa, the Algonquin, and the Odawa. Today, Muskoka is home to three sovereign nations, Wata Mohawks First Nation, Moose Deer Point First Nation, and the Moon River Métis. These lands are covered by the Williams Treaty of 1923 the Robinson-Huron Treaty of 1850, and the J. Collins Land Purchase of 1785. I thought I would begin this conversation today with sharing about who I am and why it's important for our community to understand and hear from an Indigenous voice. So, here's my story. I grew up on the Six Nations Reserve, now known as the Six Nations of the Grand. This is located near Brantford, Ontario. My parents had six children, all girls. Yes, I know, I know my dad struggled with nylons hanging from the ceiling and makeup in the one bathroom. My dad, my father, was a crane operator in Hamilton. And he also ran our 200 acre farm, hobby farm. And guess who the farm hands were? Yes, six girls, my sisters and myself. We had pigs, cows, chickens, a beautiful garden, and a pond to skate on. We had to help with haying, harvesting, and cleaning the, the stalls of the cows. I have so many great memories growing up. My mom was a stay-at-home mother and then went back to school to become a teacher. I guess I came by it naturally. Growing up on a reserve was much like living in the country. I often get asked what it was like. And as a kid, it felt normal. It felt real. My family did not grow up traditional, which means following the Haudenosaunee or Iroquois spirituality, which was attending the longhouse and following their traditions. I had excellent teachers, some indigenous and some not in elementary school. In this environment, little did I know how important it was to see myself reflected in my community and how that would affect me later in life when I did not see myself reflected. I thank my parents for instilling the importance of education in us girls. I am proud to say 
that we all became either educators, a nurse practitioner, a dental hygienist, and even a missionary. Growing up with brown skin was not always positive. I remember playing in the front yard and busloads of what we called visitors toured the reserve week after week. They would often drive past our home in these giant tour buses. And oh, there we are, the little Indian girls playing outside on their front yard. I have memories of the bus stopping and people, non-Indigenous, or let's call them white people, would get out of their, get out of the bus and start taking our pictures with Zoom cameras, walking onto our property. This would happen quite often and we would run in the house and tell our mom, the bus is here again. This happened a lot because we lived in the main uh, part of the reserve or the main village called Oshwigan. My mom used to tell the story of being in Brantford and going to shop and get groceries. And this is just another example of my childhood and, and how I experienced uh, some discrimination and stereotypes. And she had all her little girls in tow with her. A sales lady, I recall my mom telling the story, began to follow my mom around the department store. She, would, uh, she was eyeing my mom and the little girls very suspiciously. My mom finally went over to the lady and said, oh, can I help you? The sales lady was shocked and then left us alone from then on to shop. This was the beginning of growing up with discrimination, judgment, and racism. It was so, it is so interesting how the color of a book does not tell the story. Would my experience be different if my skin was not brown? That's a good question. I am a second generation residential school survivor, which means my grandfather on my mother's side attended residential school. I think it's uh, important and vital to talk about the past. History is what we cannot change, but we can revisit the past to change the narrative heading into the future, which will affect now and future generations for everyone. I have 33 years of teaching under my belt as an educator, a department head, and a First Nations, Métis, and Inuit consultant for my school board that I taught with and also a lifetime of living both on and also off reserve, going to university and living in the community of Cambridge and then now moving up to uh, Huntsville. I'm honored to be sharing all of this information and my life story today with you so you can get a better understanding of who I am and why it's important to have an indigenous voice in our community. I think, we should, for consistency's sake, take a look at three important and often confusing terminology. We'll be taking a look at education as well and history and how it affects uh, the present and, as, as I said, the, the future, the cause and effect of things that have happened in the past, in our Canadian past. And the, so the terminology is really important. And it has it is labels that have been given to uh, Canadian Indigenous. So let's get busy. And it can be confusing at times, so I'll try and sift through it and sort through it with you. The first word is Indigenous, which means First Nations, Métis, and Inuit. Okay, here we go. First Nations 
originally known as Indian, the label given to us, then changed to Native, then changed to Aboriginal, and now First Nations. We also have on reserve First Nations status and non-status. Status means that you are identified by the government and carry a status card, which, by the way, I can use to cross the border with and not have to use a passport. That's just a, a little side tacked on tidbit of information. So I am status. I am Mohawk of the Turtle Clan. And so there are over 70 language groups and 60 to 80 separate First Nations peoples in this country. So that's First Nations. Now let's move on to Métis. Who are Métis people? Well, Métis, and I used to say this in my uh, grade 12 university level course I taught, and it's easy to explain to teenagers how Métis people came about. So I'm going to use the same analogy. After the arrival of the Europeans, they actually wanted more than just the land. This included the women. And thus, Europeans uh, took or married or bred with uh, First Nations and created Vala Métis. Métis people have a rich and vibrant history and uh, very established Métis communities in this country with their own language, culture, and identities. All right, the Inuit. I know some people used to say Eskimo, which is not a good word to use. We use in Inuit. Now, I know some people say Inuit, but the correct pronunciation is Inuit. And one Inuit is called an Inuk, and they speak Inuktitut. Now, I know this because I have traveled to uh, Nunavut and to Iqaluit and has, have spent some time uh, in, in that area of the Arctic. I'm not an expert, but I have a lived experience. So Inuit are indigenous people of the Arctic, primarily in Inuit, and I might get this word wrong, Nunagat, N-U-N-A-N-G-A-T, which is the Inuit homeland. It is actually 35% of Canada's landmass and 50% of its coastline. And we will talk about this in the future, but according to the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, the word indigenous is the most accepted terminology, and it's also used internationally. So that's the word we're using now, indigenous, to describe First Nations, Métis, and Inuit. However, in some instances, the Canadian government still uses the word Indian, as in the Indian Act. Well, I still make what are called Indian cookies, and on my reserve, there is a road called Indian Line. And with that, let's take a short break. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. Hey, I, uh, heck in it, I, I heard you talking about, uh, status. And, uh, I want to give you a little story about my experience with status. I remember crossing the border back when in my in my rig and coming across and you know how you get you get nervous you get kind of scared <laughs> and you uh, pull up yeah you 
Look like a deer caught in the headlights. You don't blink. You stare straight ahead. You don't breathe. I don't think I was breathing when I was crossing that time. And, <laughs> and uh, nah, well, here, here she is. I uh, pull up and uh, the guy comes out with his little uniform on, looking at me. I'm looking. No blinking. No blinking. I stare straight at him and he asks for my passport and I say, hmm, I got a status card. <laughs> I give him the status card, he looky looks, I not blinking still, my eyes are watering. Holy heck, I wanted to get out there, get out of there, get moving on. He give me back my status card and I pull away, I hit the gas, I pay my five bucks at the next stop and I Get out of there like a squirrel in a bulk barn. <laughs>
This holds true to traditional medicine wheel teachings that we are created four ways, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And again, I taught this in my courses. And according to the medicine wheel, we are always, as people, seeking balance and self-reflection in order to live our best way of being and knowing. So I ask, as we move forward together in this process of learning and understanding, that each of us takes the time to assess our own values and belief systems. Much of what we know, and I realize that, we have learned from our parents, our communities, and our past experiences. So my hope is that you will take in the stories and the teachings, the good, the bad, and the ugly of all I'm going to share and that your takeaways will give you time to self-reflect. So let's take a quick look at land, a topic that we will come back to in the future. The land acknowledgement that I said, and that means the indigenous people really are the land. We are part of the land and the land is us. That may be difficult for you to grasp or understand, but I think in the area that we live in Muskoka, that you get an understanding of that, maybe when you're canoeing on a glass still lake or walking in the bush and you hear a tree fall. That's what I'm talking about, the connection that we as human beings have to the land. That's the connection that Indigenous people have and have had since the beginning of time. Well, this connection is the same that I could say is how you love your children, that unconditional bond. It's just there. You're there for them. It's a bond that is unbreakable. So it is the same with Mother Earth, the land. We are here to live with the land, to respect the land, to work with with the land. It provides life to us, our cells, our, our water. We breathe oxygen from the trees and trees take our CO2. And we go back to the earth, to the soil at the end of our lives. So we are all connected Uh, in a very infinite way and respectful way to the earth and to Mother Earth, a way that must be dignified, that I feel must be dignified and and honored. And I think Muskoka does a pretty good job of that. And when we look at the environment and nature, we can be one with that. And that's the connection that I'm speaking of. The land base in Canada was habited prior to Europeans hitting its shores. We, the Indigenous, were already here living with the land. And I'm not going to say on the land, but with the land. We were one with the land. So, the land acknowledgement, which in my opinion should have happened in this country and in different situations, whether it's at a a sports event, whether it's in our towns, whether it's uh, at occasions, Uh, should be said, should have been said well before this time, but I am thankful that it is being said now all across this country. It is important to acknowledge the original people in, as I said, in honor and respect and as part of our relationship with the land. So when you hear a land acknowledgement, it is not just words. It has very deep, deep rooted meaning and understanding for us, the Indigenous people. And hopefully for you, I want to give a really quick example. Last summer, I taught at Nipissing University in North Bay. And one of their radio stations there, as a huge sign of respect and honor, 
on a regular basis played the land acknowledgement like it was a commercial. And I heard it several times a day. And as an Indigenous person, I felt it so honoring, so wonderful to hear about the land that I was on and who it belonged to and who inhabited it from the beginning of time. So I would just like to give that suggestion to our Huntsville community and that we can adopt that strategy as well. That about wraps up today. And I would like to say Nyawa, which is thank you in my language for welcoming my Indigenous voice. It's with gratitude, much gratitude, that I say goodbye for now. And we'll see you next time on Mohawk Time.